Welcome to the Mysteries Decoded podcast. I'm Darcy Staniforth, an American Studies scholar and lecturer, but I also love to explore the paranormal. paranormal. On this podcast, we explore the paranormal, but also the occult, the the strange, and the unknown as we try and decode the mysteries around these topics. Today on the Mysteries Decoded podcast, we are decoding the Harrisville Farmhouse, which is also known as the farm on Roundtop Road. However, you may know it as the house that inspired The Conjuring. I got a chance to sit down with Adam Berry of Kindred Spirits and the house's previous owners, Corey and Jennifer Heinzen, to discuss this fascinating place. These interviews were full of synchronicities between our guests, as well as stories that I am still processing. But I think it is important to remember that it is the real-life experiences of the Perrin family that initially brought attention to the farm on Roundtop Road. The farm was supposed to be their dream home, but it quickly became anything but as they experienced paranormal event after paranormal event for a decade. And while the Perrin family no longer lives there, their lives have been forever changed by their time there. It might be easy for us to talk about, but it certainly wasn't easy for them to live through these experiences or share them with the world. And as investigators and searchers, it is so crucial that we acknowledge the folks at the heart of these experiences. Our first guest today is Adam Berry, a paranormal researcher and investigator who is one of the hosts and executive producers of Kindred Spirits on the Travel Channel and Discovery Plus. Adam and I got to sit down and talk about his early paranormal experiences, as well as the investigation he and Amy Bruni conducted at this infamous house. There was this weird sense that was a ghost. Adam, welcome to the Mysteries Decoded podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here, Darcy. Let's, I can't wait to talk about the farmhouse. It's, uh, you know, one of my favorite places. So before we get started into talking more about the Harrisville farmhouse, for people that might be getting to know you for the first time on this podcast, can you talk about your first paranormal experience? I can. So very first paranormal experience that I can remember was when I was living in the first house I grew up in, in Florence, Alabama. And it was a house my parents rented. And I was, uh, I, I think I was about maybe eight years old, but I woke up in the middle of the night and I heard what sounded like a dog scratching on the bathroom door. And then I could hear it coming into the room because I could hear the little nails on the hardwood floor and I could hear the collar jingling. And then it would get to the foot of my bed where there was one of those old tube TVs that we had where you'd have to like push the button in and it would go off. And when you did that, it would glow for a little bit, you know, and then die down. (laughs) And uh, when the sound got to that TV, the TV lit up a little bit and went back down and it repeated that it was scratch walk, the TV would glow, scratch, walk, and the TV would glow. Now, we didn't have a dog, didn't have a dog. I thought maybe my aunt was there and she had brought her dog, but that's weird. Like, why would she be there? And this is the middle of the night. And uh, I knew it was very strange and odd. And I started, I pinched myself to make sure that I wasn't asleep. And it, it, I wasn't asleep and it was still happening. And I wanted to run to my parents' room, but I couldn't because the sound was happening coming through the doorway and I didn't want to walk through it. I couldn't see anything. I just heard it. And, uh, for some reason I thought to myself, just tell it to stop. And I said, stop, stop doing that. And it quit immediately quit. And there was this weird sense of like, huh, that was a ghost. I know. Or like that was, that was something paranormal. And it, and I was a kid and I just knew that that was the case. And, uh, for some reason, I wasn't scared of it. I went and I just went back to sleep. You know, I told my parents about it when it happened and they sort of ignored it. And I found out recently that I was like, you guys ignored me when I told you about all the stuff that was happening in our house. And they said, no, we didn't. We didn't ignore you. We just didn't acknowledge it because we were having the same experiences. And I didn't even know that until recently. But that was the first ever uh, paranormal experience I ever had as like a young, young kid. Oh, wow. And that story of parents saying we weren't ignoring it, we're acknowledging it. Yeah. I feel like the more I talk to people, the more I hear stories like that, where it's like I told them and then later, years later, they're like, yeah. So remember that story you told me or remember that incident 
yeah, we saw it too, or we experienced that too. Yeah, they. I mean, that's and that's really the way to go about it. And we, when we deal with families with kids, we always say, you know, don't use the G word. Mm-hmm. And I say that because, you know, sometimes it's pipes and you just don't know it. But it's like it, it, parents have to be very careful. And I think I thank God my parents did. I mean, if they were freaking out about it, then I'd have been afraid of the paranormal. And I don't think I, we'd be talking today. That's for sure. I think that whole idea of not not sending you or sending other children down this path where they end up, like you said, being either afraid of the paranormal or just being afraid in general. Cause as a kid, you want to feel safe in your own house. Yeah. And I, you know, I think when the activity is extremely intense, when it's undeniable, when it's unquestionable, that's when the parents can't play it off. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we are here to talk about the conjuring house, but they, they could not play it off. They, it would, the, the activity was so intense for them specifically that there was no way to ignore it. So before we get deeper in to the, the Harrisville farmhouse, you have this first experience as a child. Mm -hmm. When do you start investigating the paranormal and becoming a researcher and a collector? So not until I was a young adult. I mean, I I did not know you could investigate the paranormal. I just thought you experienced it. It happened in spooky houses or spooky places. But it wasn't until uh, around 2004, five, I went to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. I was on, on a work trip there and I decided to go on a ghost tour. And I went on the last ghost tour there. It was started at the Farnsworth house and you went through the Farnsworth house and they talked about the ghosts that were there. And I asked if I could wander off to the, this battlefield area by myself. And the tour guide said, I wouldn't, but you, you're more than welcome to. And I said, okay. And, you know, just wandered off uh, into this line of trees and on my own experienced disembodied voices I saw light anomalies. I heard distant gunshots, something that was, I found out later to be called the rebel yell. It was like a yelling scream. I'm mm-hmm. sitting there, I'm standing there experiencing this on my own. And I brought my, I ran and got someone that was waiting for me after the tour. And I brought them back to experience it as well. And they had the same experience. So I had it verified by somebody else. And that was the catalyst that really pushed me to be like, what is going on? Like these things are unexplainable. They're not terrifying. I'm fascinated by it, but I don't know what it is. And I know that I'm not crazy. (laughs) At least I don't think I am. And I need to understand what this is. Did you hear that? It's an old house. It creaks. So thinking about the Harrisville farmhouse, anyone who is a fan, I think, of the paranormal or a paranormal researcher or investigator knows about the Harrisville farmhouse. So for you and possibly for you and Amy, was that some place that you had always wanted to investigate? Oh, Oh, yeah. I mean, if you think about... (laughs) Yeah. Um, is the sky duh. blue? Uh-huh. I mean, it's, it, yeah, duh. It's like one of those things where it's it's always on the bucket list, but you're like, it'll never happen. But it's like, uh, yeah, of course we did. And so when the idea of it came up, we were like, uh, yeah, yeah, you need, yes. And we, I, you know, we knew Corey and Jen before they purchased the house. And so when they asked us if we wanted to come and take a look, we were like, yes. Yes, we'll love. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, we we are on our way. We've already packed and we're on our way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And to have an opportunity to sort of dive into that world and to open that box up again from our viewpoint was a once in a lifetime experience. And I wish that that's one of those episodes I wish they could have been two or three hours. So let's get into that, Adam. With that right. investigation, can you talk about some of the things that didn't make it to air? Uh, the first thing was the n- numerous stories that were being told by every single family member. So those of you who have not seen the episode, how dare you? Uh, but you can check it out. But I'll <laughs> I'll, clear, I'll clue you in. So we wanted to bring back the family 
the mother, uh, one sister had, had passed away already, and um, the mother said she would never return, and she has not. So, but everyone else, we wanted to get everybody else back into that house and to, and see what kind of activity would take place in that house with all of them back together for the first time since the uh, since the since the incidents in the in the seventies. Was it difficult to convince them to come back to the house? So Roger and Andrea, we we've known them for years, and the two of them together are a force. And they were they thought it was important for the family to do this. The sister, uh, the sisters were a bit more apprehensive, were just really terrified about going back into that space. But it wasn't, they knew that we would never put them in a position that would compromise their safety or anything like that. Right. And so we brought them back in. And there was this great story that Roger told where he got so emotional about interacting with uh, the female spirit in the house and uh he was saying something about the kids needed new shoes for school and the mother said i'm gonna go get them shoes do you want to come with and he was like no no because he just got home from a work trip and he remembers what he was eating he was eating clams he said he made himself some clams and he sat down at the table the kitchen table and he was eating and he looks up and he could see this like wispy like uh edge of a dress in the doorway. And he was like, Oh, I don't want to deal with this. I didn't want to deal with it at the time I was exhausted. And, and she was just standing there and he's describing this, you know, this entity just like standing slightly in the doorway. And, and he said, he says, well, come in and sit down for God's sakes. And then the entity sort of disappeared and vanished. And then he started getting so emotional about it because he was sad that he offended her because he did not, she did not interact with him for months after that. And it was as if he had, it was as if he had lost someone like that is how intense this entity was in that house. It was as if he, he he didn't want to offend her. He, he, he wanted to just understand her, but his temper got the best of him and she did not interact with him. For three months, he, she kept affecting the spirit, kept affecting the family. And then one day he said, I was downstairs and I think this is on the show. And he was like, I was fixing something in the basement and I felt this hand on my back and just run down my back. And I and he says, I went, thank God. Thank God you're here. Mm. But there is a there is a toy box downstairs, which you see on the show uh, on the Kindred Spirits. And you see these little draw kids drawings of like the bent, the crooked neck lady, right? Yes. That everyone describes. And we were like, oh, I wonder if that belonged to the parents. I wonder if it's been down here since the 70s. And we asked them about that. And they were like, no, that's not us. That's not our, we didn't draw this. We don't know what this is, which means it came from the nursery that that woman ran which means the kids were seeing something when she lived there because they were drawing this crooked neck lady in the uh, toy box, not the parents. Get what I'm That's saying? So crazy. And like we, so when we asked the family about this and they were like, oh, my God, no, this is insane. No, like they started freaking out because it was like these kids had been experiencing it. To the point where they were drawing it in the toy box. Like, what? Well, I imagine, too, in that moment, right, you also have this entire family that the next people that are in that house, whether they're children or the owner, but these these kids are validating their experience through this artwork. Right, exactly. And I think... It's funny to me because the woman's like, well, I didn't experience anything. I was like, well, maybe it wasn't for you to experience. Maybe those entities were hanging out with those kids in the daycare all day long and doing different things because they had this unobscured opportunity to. So I wanted to know one of the things that didn't get brought up in the episode that I was kind of surprised by is the information around Bathsheba Sherman. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that is a really important thing for listeners to understand about the Harrisville farmhouse. 
Absolutely. So Bathsheba Sherman is, you know, uh, infamously associated with this house due to a lot of different things. I mean, the, the story is Lorraine walked in, put her hand on the stove, and she said, a woman named Bathsheba, that's who it is. The connection comes with this a lady who lived in the same town. Her name was Bathsheba Sherman. And, you know, even Andrea in her books, she mentions Bathsheba Sherman. If you know us, we do our research. So we did a ton of research on Bathsheba Sherman. And uh, the facts are, the facts are, there was a lady named Bathsheba Sherman. Uh, when you look at land records from that time period that she was alive, uh, her land was adjacent to the land that the farmhouse sits on. Uh, she had no association with the family that owned that land. She had no association with the land. Uh, she was not a witch. She did not murder a child. None of this happened because there would have been record of it. If a woman in that time period had murdered a child and people knew about it, she would have been prosecuted and probably put to death. There is zero evidence and record of this at all whatsoever. Um, we, Andrea obviously knows this information now. And, you know, when we were there with her, she totally acknowledged that she doesn't necessarily, she doesn't think that it is Bathsheba. Uh, she doesn't know who it is. You know, obviously it's this entity. Um, we had a big conversation about it. Um, but it's one of those things where everyone associates this poor woman, Bathsheba Sherman, with this haunting and with doing these terrible things to these kids because she supposedly murdered a baby and like, but none of that happened. And the, uh, the, uh, uh, the fallout from that, from, you know, this false narrative being created behind this woman who actually existed is that her grave cannot stand as a monument to her life because people go and they destroy it. Um, we were able to go to the historical society that deals with grave preservation. They have the stone itself. Uh, they, it's, it's in the police department. They are the ones that removed it because they, because people were vandalizing it. Um, they, uh, they're the ones that, you know, laid it out for us within an inch of their lives because they were like, finally, somebody is here to listen to what we have to say about this. And they showed us the maps and they showed us the proof that she had nothing to do with any of it uh, at all whatsoever. She was a regular lady who had a family and who lived her life and died. And that was it. Mm. And, uh, and so the, but, but the fallout is the fact that she cannot rest. And we reached out to her too, many times just to see, you know, just to see if she'd talk to us and no one, no one talked to us or addressed us uh, with that name and with that information. And this is where when people don't understand how research works, you're absolutely right. If this woman had committed infanticide, especially with a knitting needle, there would be record. There would have been probably a trial. But right. I think people sometimes get caught up in, again, the sensationalism of a story. And, oh, this makes for such a better story. And yet this poor woman cannot even enjoy her final resting place because people have latched onto that and basically destroy her monument because they see her as a baby killer when she was the, that's the last thing she was, not a witch, not a baby killer. And so right. I love that you're sharing now and helping put out there now to give this woman like back her name and her dignity. Now, is the house haunted? Yes. Are things happening in that house that are insane? Yes. Does the activity increase when the original family is back in the house? Yes. Um, did we have tables levitate, beds fly across the room? Did I get pushed up against the wall and thrown halfway across uh, the house? I, no, I wish that would have happened because, <laughs> right? thank you, right? I wish that would have happened, but it didn't happen. Did we get verifiable information that something is there? Yes. Did we get information that gave us uh, names and, and dates and we could specifically pinpoint who it is? No, we left with more questions. Then we had answers. And that's yeah, and going back to like, the more we do, the less we know. Yeah. And in, in the episode, the way that I kind of saw the way the entities were interacting with you and Amy is it it seemed like 
they were coming in being like, hey, Adam, hey, Amy, we're here, but we're not here for you. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just appeasing us. Mm. Like they knew we were the reason why the original family was back in that house. So as a way of saying, all right, they threw us a couple of bones. But I think it was just doing it for us because we gave it something, which was Mm -hmm. this family in a weird way. And it was like, all right, cool. Thank you. Um, Because the family, you know, the energy in that house totally shifted when they were there. It was like, whoa, what is this space? So it brings, it bears in mind is the, like, is the house haunted by what they experienced? Or is the house haunted and the parents are haunted by something else, which comes with them in that house and sort of wakes up? Right. You know, because I, was, I wanted to ask you about you talked about the stories hearing from the parent family in the toy box. But mm-hmm. were there some experiences that happened that maybe you didn't have actual physical, you know, recordings of or made it to camera that happened to in the house? So. We were investigating in the what would be the master bedroom where we got the little uh, on the DDR. We saw what appeared to be a small black object, maybe like a cat or oh, something. Yeah, the, the black entity right? crawling across the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That simple. You know, that that old chestnut, that simple <laughs> uh, black entity crawling across the floor. So for me, I wanted like fireworks, you know, I wanted to experience the craziness and you know and even asking for that in the darkness of this cellar basement i had a i just had that feeling just now like when i'm thinking about it of like how ballsy is this dude like what are you doing right like how dare you you know it's like what like, do you really want to turn around and see the face of this woman like naked crook like no do you really The answer is no, queen. No, you don't. And so, you know, there were little things. There were little things like that. And, you know, we did experience stuff. And I think what we came to the conclusion of being, you know, when the family's there, the energy changes. They bring a lot to that space when they're back in that space. Yes, there's something there. But the best people to own that house is Corey and Jen. And, you know, they're the ones that if anybody else got a hold of that house, no telling what could have happened, but they're experienced investigators. People are mm-hmm. like, oh, paranormal investigators bought the house. I'm like, yeah, who else is going to buy a house that has to be video surveillanced 24-7 because people break on the property? They have cameras everywhere. Like, who else is going to want a house? Not a family of six trying to, like, do homeschool pandemic homework, okay? Right. It's going to be people who can like work with the space, investigate the space, keep logs, tabulate activity, let other people experience it if they feel like experiencing it. They can control it. They can maintain it. They're the ones that should be owning that house, you know? And I think that's a a really important, it's really important because you've got this at the heart of this, outside of the popularity that you know, the the attention that the movies have brought to this to a much wider audience outside mm-hmm. of us paranormal nerds is that you still at the heart of this have a family that had very traumatic, dramatic and life changing experiences happen to mm-hmm. them for 10 years and mm-hmm. their lives are forever tied to that. And will that will be the legacy. Like, I don't care what you do for the rest of your life. Like, that's your legacy. And that is a big legacy to live with. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, who becomes the caretaker of that building has a legacy to protect. I'm afraid the haunting of this house has only just begun. So, Adam, I want to transition a little bit into a couple questions from Twitter. So, at Mary Leanne asks, and this kind of ties into something we've talked about a little bit earlier. But when you're going into an investigation, do you prefer knowing the history of an investigation or would you rather go in without the history at first, having a clean slate and see what things reveal themselves to you? It depends on a case by case basis. So Mm. we know as much information as the homeowner is going to tell us, right? Mm -hmm. We know where we're going and Sometimes 
depending if it's a family, we might already do a little legwork in figuring out who owned the property. We'll get the deeds or the titles just to have them, right? Right. We know as much as we can find out just to start our investigation because you got to have a starting spot. And our first night of investigation, we're very, we just kind of go in and see what happens. We don't really bring up history. We don't bring up mm-hmm. names of previous owners. We go in just talking and seeing what kind of responses we get. Because A, you know, we want to get a fresh, like, base reading on the location. And so we want to see what happens naturally. And does any of that match up with uh, anything we may already know or anything that the homeowners have told us? And then our second day is usually spent digging as much as we possibly can into history and research and then we start bringing that up on nights two, three, and four, piece by piece. And then, of course, it changes. Like if night two, we start going in a really good direction or not, we dig even deeper on the third day. And we start bringing in pieces from the third day of history and research and the second day. It's like it's ever changing. And also, we don't ever stop researching. Like we could be in the middle of an investigation going, oh, my God, we need like a, a specialist in this. Can we get somebody, somebody find find a dude that can talk about this, wouldn't that be great? Because maybe we need that information. And that happens all the time. And our producers love us when we do that. <laughs> it's like, can we it's like, can we please get a Native American shaman on the phone tomorrow? And they're like, right. uh, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we need a Native American shaman. We please help us find one. Please help. We'll we'll also look for one. But if you know of like you got a guy who knows a guy who's a shaman, like and he's real, he's legit. Like, can we please talk to him about like Native American burial rituals and like if any mm. that pertains to here? Like, and that happens all the time. Can we get a person that speaks Polish? Like that happened to us. Right. We were getting these. We were like, oh, the family was Polish and they didn't speak English. We need a translator. And our and our producer was like, we can't find. We we can't. I looked. We can't find one. And Amy's like, we are in Little Poland. Go down, like literally, go down to the diner, walk in the front door, and say hi anybody here speak Polish? And he did that. And we got that awesome lady who was the wife of the owner. And she comes in and starts translating. And we're like, this is insane. But it's just like, that happens all the time. So we know as much as we can know. And then we start, you know, digging even, even deeper. It all happens in five days, though. (laughs) Like, literally. (laughs) And then at SD Moon Wishes is curious how the home felt to you walking through for the first time? And then also what aspects about the stories and movies seemed ridiculously far-fetched after your investigation? I was so hoping that this question would come up about the movies. Thank you for bringing it up. You know, it was in awe of being there. How dare you? My, I was taking so many photos with my phone. I, I think I like ran up. I had no more space. Right. And then I think started investigating for the first time it was hard to put away the anticipation of what i wanted to happen versus Mm. what was actually happening and i was a bit frustrated the first night because ghosts don't perform on command you can't deposit a quarter and they turn on like a machine oh oh my god also something didn't show on the show really quick roger had his birthday when they were there it was his freaking birthday oh wow we brought out a we brought out a cake And we had a birthday party in that house for Roger with his family, saying happy birthday. And I literally had a moment we were singing happy birthday, looking around. And I was like, this is a Conjuring movie. This is the I'm in the movie right now. What is happening? Because he was having another birthday party in this house for the first time. Um, It was and I was like, I'm in the movie. I'm in the movie. This is so weird. I'm in the movie. This is so crazy. And it's sort of like taking that in. Now, I've seen... So the first movie is about Round Top. I love that movie up until the exorcism of uh, Mm. Lorraine. Okay. All the way up. So well done. If you can make clapping scary, like you have... You've won, right? The little bells, like old school paranormal stuff like just like the little stuff you can't see that you're having experiences but you don't like you don't know where it's coming from like something is interacting with you and they want like the uncertainty the unease of it that to me from a movie paranormal movie standpoint i was like that's awesome right 
because you're sort of not hyping it, but you're making it scary AF with your angles and your music, right? Mm-hmm. But then you get into the ridiculousness of the of the the chair and it going upside down and 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 whatever. Like that's just to me. I was like, okay, now we've like reached a point where we're really making Hollywood hot. Hollywood is there for a reason. Like they do, yeah. they serve a purpose to scare the crap out of you. And I think they pair the movies with Andrea's books. You'll see what's exaggerated and what isn't exaggerated. But I, I will say from a movie standpoint, the first part of that movie, I felt really, I was like, this is exciting because it was actually, you know, we've had investigations where things like that happen and they mess with you and you're like, I don't understand what's happening and I don't get it. And it was very simple and it was scary in the simplicity of it. Mm. And I think that's what that house is right now. Like it's some of the activity can be very simple, but it's scary in the simplicity of it. Like, why did Amy get the hand down her back? Was it because it was the same comforting entity that was with Roger that touched him on the back or like what? And it's so simple in what it was doing, but like, that's almost more terrifying. And again, you know, I was waiting to be thrown across the house and to see things levitate, but that didn't happen. And it happened for that family. And again, maybe it's the family, you know, maybe it's the family. Right. Awesome. Adam, thank you so much for spending time with me talking about the Harrisville Farmhouse here on the Mysteries Decoded podcast. I had a great time. I hope you did too. Amazing. Thank you for having me. Anytime we can talk about spooky things, let's do it. Absolutely. We're going to talk again soon. Great. And remember, folks, you can watch all six seasons of Kindred Spirits with Adam Barry and Amy Bruni on the Travel Channel, Travel Channel Go, and Discovery+. Plus. Our other guests on today's episode are paranormal investigators Corey and Jennifer Heinzen. Up until very recently, they were the owners of the farm on Round Top Road. When Corey, Jennifer, and I sat down to talk, it was before the house changed ownership. Unfortunately, due to some issues around Corey's health, the Heinzens had to make the tough decision to sell the property. But they have found a new owner who they are very excited about, and they plan to stay involved with this infamous house. The three of us spent time talking about their paranormal experiences with the property. But as you will hear, the activity they experienced may not just have been confined to the farm on Round Top Road. How quickly does activity begin. (laughs) We had activity the first day we moved in. Welcome to the Mysteries Decoded podcast. I'm so glad to have you both on. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. We're excited. Corey, what was your first paranormal experience that got you started into investigating the paranormal? My first experience was uh, a battlefield down in Virginia. I was stationed in Quantico, Virginia with the Marines. And we used to have uh, battlefield studies. So I, I'm not sure if it was a Massaponics battlefield or the Fredericksburg battlefield, because this was back in like 2001, 2002. Um, but we were sleeping. It was about one o'clock in the morning. We got woken up by gunfire and screaming. And I mean, it was all over the place. And I mean, there's like 50 of us out there. It woke us all up. We're looking around. We don't see any flashes of light. We don't hear anybody running through the woods. Nothing like that, you know, so it kept us up the rest of the night. And the next morning, the tour guy came out, and we explained to him, and he's like, oh, yeah, it happens all the time. And it's like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> none, of, <laughs> none of this stuff happens all the time. And, you know, he went on to explain it. He's like, oh, it happens at Gettysburg and stuff like that. And, I mean, these are just things. These are before the TV shows and stuff. You know, these are just things I've read in books. And it was just, it just, it floored me. I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Well, and the fact, too, that it wasn't just you. It's not like you were the only Marine up that night. Yeah, exactly. And it's like some of them just didn't want to talk about it. Others were like, oh, man, that's awesome. And, you know, and I was just like, you know, you were told, you know, there's no such thing as, you know, this and that growing up. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, explain this one to me then. Wow. So then how long after that did you start? Like you'd mentioned that you started investigating after you retired from the Corps. So what was your first investigation? My first investigation was uh, after I retired, my lovely wife uh, got me, (laughs) she got me a retirement gift, which was an overnight investigation at Roland Hills Asylum. Oh, that's great. Now, Jennifer, 
When do you get started in the paranormal? Had you had a paranormal experience before these things? And what was your first investigation? Well, I guess I can't really remember when I started going. I didn't go on any any big investigations with him for a couple years. We have this local rec center at our hometown back in Maine, and that place is haunted. So that was the first place that he ever took me to investigate. And I don't know if it's because it was local to us and we had access to it whenever we really wanted, but that by far has been one of the most, aside from here because we live here, but that's like the most active place that we like to go to to investigate because it's just that active. I haven't really been to any big places. I like that you're like, I haven't really been to any big places yet you own one of the most notoriously haunted places in the United States. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of funny. It's weird because I guess the begin- it's so it's home to us now. It's exciting to see sure. people come in for the first time because it brings you back to that first time when we walk through the doors. It's just it's exciting. And what year was the house built in? It was deeded in 1680, so I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they said principal construction started in 1680 as well. And as it stands right now, as as you see it, is 1736. Wow. Wow. That is that is some history just in a house, even without all of these other things. Oh, yeah. Like it's. I think sometimes it's hard for us as Americans to think about things past like 50 years much less into the 1700s people are shocked when they because there's a lot of american history that goes with the house and i think that's what me and jen really like about it because you know yeah it's haunted but i mean just the americana to it is just it's amazing and we have the legacy of the paranormal activity but we also have this incredible american history was it an easy decision to come to to buy this? Um, I think Corey knew right away just because he's always wanted to. The idea of it was very exciting and scary at the same time. But the first time we came and looked at the property, I knew I loved it. Yeah. And how did you feel when you walked onto the property for the first time? Did you get a sense of spookiness? Was it a welcome feeling? Did you have an experience when you first came onto the property? I found it very welcoming. We walked the outside of the property first, so we got to see the land, and I found it very welcoming. Like, I was already in love, like, Mm. obsessed with it. I did have, I don't normally have crazy experiences, but when I first got to the entryway of the gates, I looked beyond the field itself to the woods and I saw a wooden shed out there. My first thought to myself is like a weird spot for a shed because mm. it was just a ramp. It wasn't, it's not like there's any trail that led to it. I could just see it through the woods, but it wasn't a big deal. It just, my only thought was that's a weird spot for a shed. So we kept walking and Corey was behind me chatting. I believe the realtor and just talking about stuff. And actually I don't think the realtor was there the first time. And we got walking in there and got closer to it. And I looked over and it was, it wasn't there. What? Like it was just, it was just weird. So that was crazy to me, but I still loved it. Like it was kind of creepy walking through the house just because you know what it is, but I didn't get any bad feelings and you didn't either. Right, Corey? I think you felt heavy in a couple of rooms. No, there was a heaviness in a, in a couple of rooms, but nothing bad. I mean, after you've been investigating for a while, you kind of build a sensitivity, right? you know, to the places and you can walk into a place and tell if it's going to be kind of like bad or if it's going to be, you know, you can tell if there's something there and you can tell something's here, but it's nothing malicious or anything like that. It, it was just a sense of a presence and that was it. And I was like, okay. But at the same time, you know, you just kind of want to take your time with it. And so we did. So you feel this welcomingness. Corey, you said felt a little heaviness, but nothing malicious, nothing nerve wracking. So when you move in and you take possession of the house, how quickly does activity begin? (laughs) We had activity the first day we moved in. Nothing crazy. We came to the house, dropped everything off, and we went and watched the new Toy Story movie. I just think that's kind of funny. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But when we came back and really started exploring the house, 
my daughter was just going through a chest full of stuff and she heard a growl and one of the doors popped open while we were talking. Just random stuff, like... Just growling and doors popping open. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. Just random stuff. Yeah, the, the door popping open, I get, because older houses, moisture, humidity, things shrink, things pop open, absolutely. But growling is a different story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So little things here and there. When does something bigger happen? When and and what kinds of bigger things start happening for you all? We stayed in the first two rooms, probably for the first two months that we moved into the house. Okay. I mean, we don't know what we're getting ourselves into. You know, you've heard stories. We hear from the parent family one thing and then from the previous owner another thing. So it's like, what do you do? So it's like, okay, we'll just throw caution to the wind and we'll stay in these two, primarily in these two rooms and let the spirits feel us out and let them know, you know, we're here to live with them. We're not here to change nothing, you know, and, and it seemed to be going well. <laughs> and just one night it was me and my friend were just laying on the cots and it looked like there would have been a fire, but it was just like this smoke and it started billowing up in one of the corners. And I mean, you could see it. There was enough ambient light in the room and it just took on like this mass and like there was, you just couldn't see through it and it just moved around the room with like a purpose. And it just came to settle like over my head. And oh. so I'm like, oh, okay. And I just sat there for a second and I was just, I was waiting and I felt nothing as far as like, I felt no presence, no hair on my, like, it was just like the only sense that I had was my eyesight. So I was like, okay, it's weird because like none of my other spidey senses are tingling. <laughs> and right. So I say to my friend, hey, are you seeing this right now? And as he says it, it starts going over towards him. Like it's like tracking his the reverberation of his voice or something. And he's like, oh my God. And just as it gets over on top of him, you know, I mean, it's not right on top of you, but it's like, like right above the, like almost touching the ceiling. It just kind of like dissipates, oh. and and that that was pretty neat. But I know when Roger came back the first time mm -hmm. after they left, we did kind of like an impromptu spare box session and stuff. And uh, it said that it had, it was a female voice that it missed Roger down in the mm. basement, and it's like, oh man, it sounded sad. Like it just it missed him. Like how how come you left? Yeah. Yeah. And that idea that this entity just actively misses Roger, just like that hurts my heart. What other experiences and phenomena are happening in the house for you all? Probably the most profound thing that we had happen. We're laying in a cot one night in the second room, the, the old parents' bedroom. And, you know, I close my eyes and I just happen to look up. And in the doorway, there's this figure staring at us. And you can see it, like, from, you know, from the waist up, just staring. There's no facial features, nothing. You can see the arms. You can see, you know, the upper torso, the head. And I'm just like, okay, I know what I'm seeing. I'm not freaking out. I'm not going to, you know, call 911 or anything like that. And all of a sudden, Jen, Jen just says out loud, tell me you're seeing this. And as soon as she says it out loud, it just, you know, out of the doorway. And she goes, what was that? And I was like, that was a shadow figure. And, you know, we really? high-fived each other and we're like, awesome. You know, that's what we're here for. You know, at no point were we scared or anything like that. It was just like such a moment that, you know, being able to share it together. Because most people see something like that, and it's like, okay, I don't have it on camera, but I saw it to my, you know, by myself. Awesome. We both saw the same thing. We described the same thing. It was awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> I'm like, I'm over here with like full body chills, and you're both like shadow people high five, <laughs> which, which I love though. Like that is 
the kind of energy that the house needs is like, yes, show yourself to us. Meanwhile, I have raccoons in my front trees and I get freaked out every once in a while because I was like, shadow person? No, just a raccoon. So, <laughs> wow. So a fully figured shadow person. It was like a Beetlejuice moment because it was coming out of the side of the door. Uh, you know, it was like, you know, just peeking around the corner. I was like, what the? <laughs> really? Right. But to your point of being, having someone there that also sees it, one of the first paranormal experiences I ever had as a teenager was myself and a friend who I was spending the night, like I was spending the night at her house and we both saw hooded figures. And I was like, do you see that? She's like, I do see that. And she described exactly what I was seeing. And it kind of helps you go like, okay, I'm not, I'm not the only one. I'm not losing it, right? And so to see those things and to have someone else say, oh, yeah, no, I saw that too, uh, gives you some reassurance. And uh, but I love that you both high five <laughs> that you high fived. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so yeah, it was just nice somebody else start with, you know, with me. You know what I mean? It wasn't just. Yeah. Have you seen more shadow people in the house? We have. I mean, we've caught a couple on camera. Mm. Camera. Yes. Yeah but I haven't seen any with my own eyes since then. But yeah, we have caught a couple on camera. You must make room for good spirits to come and bad ones to go. One of the big entities that people have talked about around the house is the Crooked Neck Lady. And the drawings that were found in the toy chest. Have either one of you experienced anything with the Crooked Neck Lady? Uh, no, we've had some teams, at least one team that have captured what to us seems like a crooked neck lady on the SLS camera. And it's actually like a three minute video and he interacts with it and he's asking her to lift her head. And it's an amazing capture because it's almost like she takes her hands and she tries to lift her head. And it's it's just crazy. Like, And she can't lift her head. Eventually she does. And they you know, it's funny when you watch the video because it's him and his wife and they're interacting with her and they're asking her to lift her head. And when she eventually does, they clap and they're like, can you wave? And she waves. And it's just an amazing interaction on an SLF camera that I've never seen before. There's a really interesting story. And I'm trying to remember who it was that was telling us about it. But back in the 1800s, back then there was like 200 acres okay. on this property. And there was a body recovered, like a skeleton dug up that was over eight feet tall. Oh. And I don't know what happened to the skeleton. I, I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole or anything like that. But we've had psychics that have come into the house and, and, and say that it's a tall person that is bending over to fit, like, in these areas. Because the house, like, in certain areas the house is small. Like you would have, like, especially somebody that big would have to bend, bend over to get like through some of the spots in the house. And I'm like, that kind of makes sense too. Right. And especially if you have someone that you don't know what their history or how they met their end on that. Right. Yeah. That's really, oh, that's interesting. That's so interesting. Is there a piece of evidence that someone has caught or that you have caught yourselves that, is just like your favorite piece of evidence so far? I think mine's definitely that SLS camera to capture. I mean, that to me was just amazing. I would have to I would have to say the flashing lights. We haven't talked about flashing lights yet, so what flashing lights, Corey? All right. So we have a phenomenon here. It's flashing lights. And when I say flashing lights, I'm not talking about the light bulbs like in the light sockets or anything like that. I'm talking about just a random light burst like in the corner of the room or on the floor, on the bed, it's all over the room. Okay. And it can happen. How long did it happen on camera that one night? Uh, well, it was like three nights in a row. And it was for like, it was just overnight from dusk until dawn. Oh, wow. Like the three nights in a row. But then we, you know, sometimes it'll like happen three times and then it'll just go away. I can't even describe it. It's just like, the brightest bright you can imagine. And then there's like a little blue orb and it fizzles out and then it'll happen again. 
and then it'll happen again. And then once it's all done and over with, you smell, it smells like an air purifier was going on in the room. Like mm. you left an air purifier running. So it's yep. ionizing the air or, or something like that. And it, it just floored me. So I was like, I've never experienced it. I've never seen it on, you know, anything until I seen it on, I've seen it on two documentaries. Now I've seen it on Sir No Face documentary. And then I've seen it on the house in between, which is uh Kendall Welton's and, the weird thing is, is it's been associated with gray aliens. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because when you like, mentioned flashing it, lights and not going down that path, I'm like, is it because of extraterrestrials? Yeah. yeah. It, um, interdimensional, that's how they pop in and pop out, interdimensional beings. And it's like, come on, you know, and then people started talking to us about shadow figures. And they're like, well, you know, shadow figures and grays go hand in hand. And I'm like, oh, God. Really? Like, this is all we need to talk about now. You know, because that's just, that's just a whole nother bag of worms. Right. You bought the house for one reason, and that reason was not uh, great aliens and interdimensional beings. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Exactly. Outside of the flashing lights, have you had experiences that lead you to believe something could be more interdimensional or extraterrestrial than paranormal? As far as happening here? No. I mean, I had an experience. I saw a flying saucer down the road from here a couple months before we bought the house. Oh, wow. Talk about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was weird. We were going to an investigation, and I know for a fact that there were five cars that all saw the same thing. Mm. But I was in the last car, and we were coming around a corner. We were heading to Warwick. Rhode okay. Island. Come around the corner, and... Off in the trees, I just saw these lights. And when I say I saw these lights, they looked like it was a parking lot that have, like, the three light thingies. Yeah. You know, the the light poles. And I'm like, that is a weird place to have, like, a strip mall, but whatever. And as I'm coming around the corner, this light source is, like, coming over the tree line right right over the road. And I'm like, wait a minute. So I, I start to slow down. The cars in front of me kind of slow down, and I'm looking at it, and it's a friggin' UFO, but there was no sound coming from it. The only thing you could hear were the jets. There were two jets. One jet was flying behind it, and another jet was using its afterburners to catch up with it. And I'm watching it. I got all this paranormal gear in my back seat. Not once do I even think about filming it. I pull off on the next road trying to follow it as much as I can, and I end up losing it into the tree line. But I was like two hours late for my investigation. Like, I was calling everybody. I didn't know what to do. I was freaking out. I was like, we're not ready for anything like that. That thing was just cruising along like it didn't give a crap about anything. It was like, I don't care if there's jet fighters on me. I don't care. It's just going to do what it wants to do. And... I just can't handle stuff like that. Like, I've always believed in it, but I wasn't ready to see it. Sure. And I just need to pause here for a moment, Corey. So not just a UFO, but two jets, jet fighters, right? So I want to clarify for people, jet fighters on the trail of this thing, they're making noise. The craft is not making noise. Yes. The one jet... When I say, okay, a jet cannot use afterburners over residential areas. I know that for a fact from my time in the military. But this one did circled around to come back around, and they weren't in an escort formation. Escort formation means they would be on the sides of this thing. They were in attack formation behind it, like they were going to engage it. And I was like, I'm about to see War of the Worlds happen right now, just because they don't know what they're dealing with. And I mean, this thing wasn't rotating. It had two distinct windows. That's where the light was coming from. There was no light underneath it. It was like the bo- it was a, like a, a soda can. It was like the bottom of a soda can. Somebody cut it. There were two boxes. That's where the light was emanating from, and it just cruised along, and that's all it was. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. 8 o'clock at night here in Rhode Island. 
I am, I'm left a little speechless, I have to say. Because that is, again, it's not like you were out sky watching. You're just on, on your way to an investigation. And that happens. And again, to your military experience, not in escort mode, in attack mode. And as you said, afterburners are not supposed to be on over residential areas. And yet these were. These were. But I can't help but make the connection. I know that you and Jennifer are not ready for it, but these flashing lights, you see a UFO only a few miles from the house. Are you open to the possibilities that outside of perhaps ghosts and shadow people that maybe some interdimensional things are happening? We're more open to it now than we were six months ago when we first started talking about it. Okay. Is, does that freak you out? A little. I, I wouldn't say it's, it's fr- it was just more of coming to a realization that, like, I've always believed in them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, what happens if they're here not to, you know, I, I think they're here to just, like, help us out. Like, they're not here to, like, cause us harm or anything. But yet there's powers that be that are going to screw that up and say, oh, no, they're here to, you know, screw us up. And we got to destroy them before they destroy us. And you start traveling down that rabbit hole and stuff and it's scary, but I mean, I've always believed in the stuff, but you can ask Jen, I called her that night and I was like, I, I can't even think straight right now. I'm like, I'm freaking out. Yeah, in a couple of days he was like that. He came home and he drew a picture. He sent it to MUFON. He posted on Facebook. Like he was pretty disturbed for a couple of days. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, Corey. Wow. That is I'm going to have to process that for a while after we finish talking, because that is just to think about already what you've been experiencing with the house and the property. And like you said, hey, we 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 have an idea of what we're getting involved with, with buying the farm, but not expecting this other aspect of things. But there seems to be more and more possibility that these things are all interrelated. So the final question I want to ask you both, because you've bought a historic property, American history wise and also paranormal wise. How has owning the farm on Round Top Road changed your life? It's been amazing. Like we've experienced so much. We've met so many awesome people. We've we've gotten to do amazing things that we never thought we'd ever have the chance to do. I mean. To tell the truth, the game show flew us out to California and we were on the game show. Like that was in itself was just like amazing, like stuff that we just never thought we'd do before. But it hasn't been easy. It's been, I say, an emotional roller coaster. It's had its ups and it's had its downs. But Sure. What about for you, Corey? I totally agree with what Jen says. I mean, it's I mean, I never thought just buying a house would, you know, cause such a ruckus. (laughs) You know, but apparently paranormal investigators buying a haunted house just makes it all that much more appealing to people. And, you know, all we wanted to do was, you know, just buy a house and, you know, open it up to fellow investigators to have a chance to see if the stories are true and stuff. And it turned out to be like a bigger deal than we ever thought it would be. But I mean, yeah. Does that does that turning into a bigger deal than you ever thought it would be? Uh make you want to sell it or only make you want to dig in deeper? Uh, I'd say both. <laughs> it depends yeah. on the day, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely both days. I mean, because the thing is, is I honestly feel we'll never get to the bottom of anything. Mm. It's just, just like we were talking about earlier, we, we're always going to come up with more questions than answers. Sure. And just when you think you get something, they, they're like, nope, just changed everything. So it's like, dang it. <laughs> yeah. What? We were so close. Yeah. Yep. Right. <laughs> I well, wish it was like a Scooby-Doo episode, but it's not. You meddling <laughs> kids and then you <laughs> yeah. unmask someone and all of the things are answered. Uh, yeah. Oh, if it were not only that, that simple. <laughs> well, Jennifer and Corey, thank you so much for being on the Mysteries Decoded podcast with me. I've had such a great time getting to know you both a little bit and 
I really appreciate your vulnerability and your sharing your experiences about how it is to own this historic house and property. So thank you very much for being here with me today. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Mysteries Decoded podcast. I hope you enjoyed decoding The Conjuring House with us, and I look forward to you joining us next time to decode our next mystery. The Mysteries Decoded podcast is brought to you by the CW Podcast Network and is hosted and produced by me, Darcy Staniforth. Our executive producer is Jen Titus. Our audio engineer is Joel Smith. Our editor and audio producer is Joshua Sterling Manley. 